All right, this is Lester Mascon and Brett Galvin, and uh, today we're with Cassius, Cassius Jones from uh, Smarking. Again, this is Parker X, and we are, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about data and what it's going on. But first, Cassius, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about your background, how you got started in all this, and where you think it's going. Yeah, uh, well, First of all, Brett, Lester, thanks so much for, for having me on. Been a fan of the show and just excited to be here. Um, let's see, yeah, so for I just recently celebrated my uh, fifth anniversary uh, at Smarking. Um, gosh, it, it, it feels like even longer than that. Uh, when, I, when I first joined Wen and Maokai, we were um, working out of their house in uh -huh. a neighborhood called in Bayview in um, San Francisco, California. You know anything about San Francisco Bayview is not the not what you think of no cable cars no views of the bay but uh, yeah you know we were working on folding tables and and just trying to make it work um, for better for worse they were, they said you know hey Cassius uh, we need you to figure out how to sell this thing and at the time you know we it was an idea that you know somehow there was a lot of data in the parking industry and that there were similarities in parking like especially relative to the hotel and airline industries that would could make this data very powerful uh specifically for sort of like the supply side of the industry and i think that was what really resonated with me i think you know when you take a look at a lot of the really interesting technology companies in parking you you know the, a lot of folks are really focused on sort of the consumer experience and what i thought was interesting about smarking is really more of the focus on sort of like how can we help the folks that own and manage these assets better take advantage of some of the data that's already sitting in their revenue control systems, meters, mobile payments, reservations, what have you. Um, it's been a wild ride, Lester. So, uh, you know, initially we had some success in municipalities and then uh, struck a chord with um, some uh, real estate owners and, uh, you know, uh, was able to win a couple of the uh, parking operations companies as clients. And yeah, we've been um, building new features and trying to uh, refine our value proposition and, um, I, you know, five years later, I've got just as much conviction in, um, what we're doing, um, uh, uh, as I did when I started and, uh, yeah, to be candid, I, I really think the parking industry is quite an exciting place to work. You know, when I, it, it seems like there's a little bit less hoopla about it now, but I remember kind of when we first started, there was a little bit of this nonsense, like, oh, autonomous vehicles, what's going to happen? All this nonsense, right? It's, it's like the way that I think about it is like, you know, the, what, what, what Airbnb did to hotels, they didn't put hotels out of business. The hotel business needed to change, right? And a lot of the things that are sort of coming to parking, not going to put parking out of business, but the industry needs to change. And for the most part, I think change is an exciting um, thing to be a part of. So, um, so yeah. Just I, out of curiosity, like, what was yeah. the original, like, like when, when Smarking formed, like, what was the idea behind it? Like, what, what were you going to, like, specifically, what was the mission statement? What were you going to do? Um, to bring value to the clients that signed up for placing this service in place. Like yeah. So I know it's changed now, obviously, because we've had a lot of changes hit our market, but like right. day one, what was it all about? So d day one, I think the biggest thing that we talk about is sort of like yield management. And if you think about airlines and hotels from like a fundamental economic dynamics perspective, what you have is a fixed amount of perishable inventory. If you don't sell a seat on an airplane, then yeah, you, you can't sell it ever again, right? You don't sell a hotel room for a night, you can't ever sell it again. It's the same thing with, the, with a parking space, right? 
And then on the demand side in airlines and hotels, it's constantly varied, right? It's 4th of July weekend, folks are flying all over the place traveling. You want an ocean view room, you're going to pay out the nose. But if you want a city view room on some random weekend in October, you know, you'll get a great discount, right? Um, so those industries had basically adopted business intelligence and yield management in order to basically try to figure out what are some interesting things that we can do from like a variable pricing perspective and a fine tuning and oversell perspective. And, and we thought that there was a similar opportunity to deploy that um, in parking. Uh, to be honest, like the, the vision and mission haven't changed. I think the biggest thing that's happened, Lester, is we've become a little bit more sympathetic to the current status quo of the industry and and also just replicating uh, realizing rather that things are the way that they are and that like there have been a lot of smart professionals in this industry for a very long time that have been doing things a certain way and that you know it's not like going to be this light switch where all of a sudden we're going to have dynamic and variable pricing left and right it's a it's a slow methodical change and you know I, I if anything that's changed it's sort of like our expectations around how quickly we, we're going to move to this world where prices are constantly fluctuating and sent into autonomous vehicles. It's a, it's a long, seems like a lot of the opportunities in this. I think like a lot of the opportunity lies in the municipalities and some of the larger universities, airports, that sort of thing, which often takes like real legislation to be able to put something like that into effect. So that's probably the first providing the data, then trying to come up with the plan and the idea, then modeling what you could do if you were actually reacting to the data and then trying to yeah. get legislation and customers on board to follow seemed like the, the path you'd have to take to accomplish that. Yeah, I, I really love uh, working with municipalities that, you know, uh, way back in the day, for whatever reason, when I was just a bumbling sales guy trying to figure out what to do, a lot of these cities in <laughs> California were the nicest to me. They took my call and we signed them up for clients and we've done good work for them. Um, yeah, basically, you know, variable pricing for on street, you know, at the time when we had come into the industry, the SFMTA and LA Express Park had sort of already done this, right? And they had done it with uh, big federal grants. We're talking 18 million bucks, 20 million bucks to, to make these kinds of things happen. And so there was an opportunity there for us to basically say, hey, look, you don't need a federal grant in order to do variable pricing, right? We can get this done for you in a way that's um, more financially viable. Um, and, and so it's super rewarding to work with municipalities, especially because, you know, when we think about parking management from a municipal perspective, um, they're, they're, they're interested in more than just revenues, right? There's a congestion management component to it. There's a land use component to it. There's an economic vitality component to it. And so it's really uh, meaningful to kind of engage on, on that kind of level. The challenges with municipalities, though, it, you know, changing parking prices if you're a city is tough. It is a tough business, right? Uh, you got city councils and interested yeah. stakeholders and downtown business associations. I I honestly think that you know municipal parking managers are, you know, some of the most underappreciated public servants because they're just getting shot at left and right from people who have <laughs> got a ticket, this, that, or the other thing, and and they're you know providing an incredible amount of revenue for the cities to fund. Well, also. the merchant community themselves are probably the toughest, probably more difficult than the actual <laughs> yeah. clients. And then <laughs> you also have commercial operators who are at you all the time right. and they don't have the the constraints that you have. Right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and then so on the flip side though, I I you know it's also 
um, rewarding to work with the, the commercial operators because if you come up with a good idea, if you were able to dig in and say, hey, look, the data says you've got to be jacking up this early bird rate because they're taking up all of your space and they're not paying you anything. And then they're saying, okay, sounds good. Let's do it. The next day, right, these folks can act real quick. Um, and yeah. then, you know, for the most part, let's not be candid, right? I mean, or let's not shy away from it. These folks are, you know, profit motivated. And so, um, hey, I got no problem making my clients money. So, Cool. Thanks for, thanks for joining us, Cassie. So I guess we wanted to, um, to zero in on a little bit of the live information that you're getting out relative to what you've been seeing over the last three months where it comes to, to the recovery. Yeah. The different phases of how that's working out. I think your, your company's in a unique position and yourself reviewing that data to sort of give us some insight. I uh, you've sort of, you have a presentation on that that you've, uh, yes. you've been working on. So yeah, it'd be great to hear a little bit about that. I gotta be honest. Like when uh, we first started thinking about the, all the data that existed, it was like, wow, all that data is just garbage at this point. Like, what are you going to do with it? But now that thinking about how you're starting to track, the data that's coming in now and the recovery and everything. I mean, that's, that's gotta be more valuable than just about anything at this moment. So I'm excited for this, this part of it. It's uh, you know, it, it's been a wild ride. So like, you know, pre COVID the, the data is always interesting. We're tracking things, but for the most part, I mean, there are some, there are certain facilities that are really variable. And I think when you look at a chart, you enjoy like spiky lines more than straight lines, right? We're looking for activity. Um, and so I, you know, in a way I would always like, sort of like back in October of 19, I was like, man, I just wish things were like a little bit more interesting. Like, man, did I get a little bit more of that? Bargain? <laughs> or, you know, maybe the, the things started going, you know, the getting spiky the wrong way. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a really interesting time, uh, to be in my seat. I think, uh, this is, you know, as close to as unprecedented an event as you can get around the impact to the transportation space. Um, and for, yeah, you know, we've assembled a, a good book of clients looking at more than 2000 locations across the US and in Canada. And so wow. got a pretty good insight into, into how things are going. So yeah, um, this, this shouldn't come, come as a surprise to anybody, but uh, it was really the week of March 16th that, uh, that things started to fall off a cliff. And we saw a little bit of weakness that prior week. Um, interestingly enough, um, at the risk of, of sounding like a pompous Bay Area um, uh, individual, it, we saw the West Coast market start to react a little bit faster than uh, some of our, our uh, clients on the East Coast, uh, particularly in New York. So in New York, we didn't see things start to fall um, until the week of the, the March 24th, which in hindsight, maybe we wish we, they had done. Obviously, the situation in New York in March and April wasn't pretty. Um, but yeah, we saw like a massive drop in parking transaction volume uh, for, I would say 90% of clients, the big drop was a week of March 16th. So that's the one where sort of goes, goes down in, uh, in history, but we, we didn't really bottom out. So, it, you know, imagine the chart we're here and then shoop, but we had a couple weeks of bottoming out for the most part, I would say 99% of our clients fit into this bill. And I would venture that, you know, this, that would apply to pretty much all parking operations bottomed out basically the week of April 6th or the week of April 13th or the week of April 20th. So those three weeks is, was the low in terms of parking transactions and parking revenues. The best way that we would measure it is sort of as a comparison to last year. 
uh, and basically on average, and this is a, a new product that we just built called the industry benchmark. How do we pool all this data together and just put a, put a benchmark on where the industry is? Yeah, we were looking at revenues down 95%. So um, those, those, uh, that, was the, that was the depths of the crisis, um, uh, those, those three weeks. So um, the wow. good news, if we're, if we're looking for good news, is that um, it's been sort of like climbing steadily ever since. And, uh, you know, even in this second wave of um, cases that we see coming up, you know, primarily in the South and the Southwest, um, we don't see ourselves retesting the lows of April at all, um, which is, you know, if you're a parking professional, is a good thing. Um, you know, maybe if you're an epidemiologist, you'd like to see things go back down, but um, I'm not in that business. So, uh, yeah. You know, uh, especially, yeah, especially for um, some of our, our Southwest clients, you know, we see transaction volume sort of like leveling off through June and July, um, but not so much um, going back down, if you will. So out of curiosity, like, so you're tracking revenue really closely. Are you looking at or have you even or thought to look at like how monthly parkers or the, you know, the, the, you know, the parker, the, the people that are coming to the building because they have a pass or a card? Like how they're what they've trended at. Are they starting to return as well, or is it just the transient side? Um, it's, a, it's so it's a really good question. So to be perfectly candid, we've got insights into monthly parking activities. Most of our integrations, Lester, come through the the parks system. Yep. We do have, you know, I would say a dozen clients that send us monthly parking revenues. But for the most part, um, I can tell you how many monthly parking revenue monthly parkers are coming in and out of the facility. But whether these folks are still still paying and just not coming is yeah i don't think my, i'd be interested in the revenue yeah i don't think i'd be interested in the revenue side at all i just want to know if people are starting to come back to their offices or not like like what's that what's that recovery look like is it matching is it following the same trend as the recovery related to revenue or is it or is it different yeah for the most part it, i would actually say it is the same we are we are starting to see okay. People come back. So yeah, I, I, I should have done a better job here, team, of uh, segmenting my what I talk. So that, oh, that first little portion is sort of like how the recovery, or excuse me, how the crisis has been the same across the parking yeah. industry. Um, I think there's a there's a whole bunch of things that we've actually been able to dig into around sort of like how the recovery actually has been different, either across regions or asset types or what oh, have you. So, um, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just bring right to your point yeah. here. So like. Some of the most promising data that we're seeing now, uh, you know, is is actually from the Northeast, because that they were hit so so hard in in March and April and May, uh, that you know it, everything was shut down. But for better or for worse, because they sort of swallowed that very very painful and in a lot of ways tragic pill, um, they're they're in the best position right now in terms of, of rebounding. The, the strongest market in the US right now for parking, do you guys want to take a guess? Austin. New England. New England. Lester, what's your guess? DC. New York City. Really? I was closer. Manhattan. I was closer. I'll take it. <laughs> So the, the, the New York is a, uh, it's a different parking market than sure. any other market in the, in the U S and that's primarily a function of land use. So 
garages in Boston and Houston and DC, they're typically going to service maybe one or two types of parking demand, right? Office and then maybe a handful of events. The land use in New York is such that it's so mixed that a garage can benefit from residential demand and office demand and event demand and who knows what else is going on in that city, right? Um, so here's a, a little interesting statistic and I just pulled the latest data on this. So this is hot off the press. Um, basically from the bottom, I have got a collection of garages in New York that I monitor just to sort of like a pulse on sort of what's happening in that market. From the bottom in April, basically through the, so the back half of April and May, um, garages in New York were experiencing an 11% week over week growth rate. That, that trend accelerated in June and July to 17%. Now it doesn't sound meaningful, but if you're able to compound at 17% relative to 11, yeah. that's, that's pretty meaningful. And then if you take a look at sort of like the year over year comparison, the national average right now is that most, most net garages from a revenue and transactions perspective are down about 65% in New York. That number is closer to 40. And there's some, some facilities in New York that are down only 25. I can't believe I'm saying down only 25%. Take me back to 20, 2019, where a garage is down 25%. I start having heart palpitation. What's going on here? <laughs> now it's something to celebrate. Um, One of the things that we're interested in is the shift between mobility of returning to your office or working remotely and versus catching the metro and the new york operates on the metro so i'm wondering if there's some substitution of mode happening there it's a it's a really big question brett and i you know i think you know every week every day is going to give us a better sense um i have seen some photos of the subway in new york i've never seen it cleaner i was born in manhattan um and they're gosh, they're doing such a nice job of keeping those trains clean. But I got to be honest, uh, I'm not sure I'm hopping on the subway anytime soon. Um, and so whether there's going to be a resistance uh, to taking personal trans or excuse me, public transit to personal transit. Um, I hesitate to draw conclusions here just because mm. still it's still early in the game. And, you know, I talked a little bit about just how different New York is relative to some other markets, like, I don't know. I mean, BART here in San Francisco gets pretty crowded, but it's never as crowded as the subway, right? Um, sure. So whether, how, you know, how, how comparable is that? But, you know, the early indicator would be, you know, I, I, my assumption is, you know, the parking industry will benefit from some of that shift from- You know, it's funny, I, I found myself using Uber a lot less, yeah. uh, just for two reasons. One, it was like, eh. I wasn't sure how well I wanted to be on there. And two, um, the availability of an Uber, like you're waiting three, four times as long as you ever had to before. Yeah. And some of the pricing has gone up for more remote type services. So I just found myself renting a car when I go into, when I travel, I traveled a little bit and I, I haven't done that in years at this point. I, uh, I've got a couple of friends that work at Lyft and Uber and we were actually comparing notes. Um, the drop in transaction volume that they saw is actually pretty right on par with what we were seeing from parking. Wow. Um, yeah. I haven't checked in with them to see whether, whether the recovery is, is sort of on track, but, um, yeah, Lester, I'm, I'm, I'm the same for you. Yeah. I, I tried to avoid Uber and Lyft just as a, as a, as a general public, sometimes I, I, I cave, but uh, definitely a little bit less, definitely less comfortable jumping in the back of somebody's car that I don't know. It's not like they've ever been a hallmark of cleanliness to begin with, right? 
really more concerned about it these days. You know, we have, we've also... Uh, Hi to our good friends at Uber listening. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, we, we've noticed a big uptick in contactless payments as well. Yeah. So the payments um, we are getting, it's, it seems to be like a 40-50% increase in contactless payments, whether through, you know, your, your Apple phone, Google Pay, or just contactless cards. Like people all of a sudden like discovered that that's like a, a thing. Cash has gone through. <laughs> cash, not cashes. Uh, cash is, cash handlings dropped to next to zero, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, what about this, the, the variance between street parking and structure parking? Cassie, yeah. are you seeing much of a preference one way or the other there as people start to return? Or they sort of- Big time. Yeah, right. So on-street parking has just been way more resilient um, than off-street parking. Uh, I think, you know, it's just a little bit more visible. Uh, I think that the nature of the a type of customer that leverages an on-street parking space, they're running into a shop or what have you. I mean, people are out and about and they're trying to pick up food and what have you. And I think on-street parking serves those needs a little bit more, whereas off-street parking is a little bit more catered and a big part of it is basically commuters. And given all this work from home uh, uh, behavior that we're seeing, um, you know, those, those folks are gonna be m much slower to come back than somebody who's running out and needs to go grab a pizza. Um, are you looking at yeah. revenue related to on street or are you looking at just occupations in the spaces? Because I know some municipalities like have just stopped enforcement of on street. Yeah. So we, we've seen different reactions from uh, different cities. Um, I am somebody who is constantly advocating for more paid parking, especially from a municipal standpoint. I think outside of providing critical revenues, it also does a whole bunch of other good things for cities. But anyways, um, yeah, some, some cities unfortunately turned off meters. Uh, I, the best policy response that I saw uh, is, you know, some of my clients in Santa Monica and Houston and Miami, basically they just kept the meters on, but didn't enforce. And so um, it's, it's a little bit of a heartwarming thing to see is that you actually get a fair amount of people paying the meter. Uh, it, it's not, not trivial, even though they don't have to, you know, and I, I think even, in part- even without the stick, huh? Yeah, you know, I think in part- <laughs> we're, we're, If we're they so listen to the podcast now, you will find- <laughs> We're so focused on sort of that, what, what's the word that they use? The, the non-compliance rate, the scoff laws, right? The folks yeah. that are gonna try to cheat if they can. And I think they, like statistics will tell you that like five or 10% of people like we're gonna fall into this category. But I think what, what we were able to see uh, through the data is that a way larger percentage of people would actually just pay the meter, even if they didn't have to. Maybe it's probably, it might just be that they weren't aware that they weren't enforcing or what have you. But, um, yeah, it, it was it was really heartwarming. Um, and, and, you know, even if you're generating, if your revenues are down, let's say 80% or 70% or what have you, and let's say you were doing 100 grand a week and now you're only doing 20, 20 is way better than zero, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> absolutely. Everything's better and, than zero. Right. Uh, on that, I think if you start to disconnect the message that you don't have to pay, you then struggle to turn that back on at the end of it when do you make that decision to start to charge again so i think that's the best strategy out of out of the strategies you can choose big time yeah so for the next global pandemic i would advise all of my clients uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, a couple of our clients turned off meters and uh, working with them to turn things back on was, gosh, I was, you know, for the most part, we were successful. July 1 seemed to be a, a, a date where folks were pretty comfortable just saying, okay, we we're going to make this happen. But um, I mean, mer mer free parking is a drug and people get addicted to it real quick. And trying to take that away um, is not easy. I would not wish that upon anyone. Um, and so if you can avoid having that conversation, you should do that. I worked at, uh, in Vegas when we took MGM to paid parking for all the, you know, for all, for all those facilities, uh, that were out there. And, uh, they just recently turned it back off. Yep. It's now free in Vegas again, which, uh, was shocking to me based on the investment that they had made to do that and the benefit they were going to get from that revenue uh, for maintaining those facilities. Yeah. But that's where they're at now. Uh, yeah. You, you just talk about sort of like how unique, unique New York is. I mean, Vegas is also arguably more unique in its own little <laughs> unique way. So um, they've got a host of challenges in that city. I think uh, I'm hopeful that paid parking is going to return. I mean, uh, you got the Raiders coming and a, whole, a number of things that I think were a catalyst for these casinos to start thinking about paid parking. But um, let's just say they've got bigger fish to fry uh, at the moment. Yeah, no doubt. That's right. They, yeah. You know, part of the, the part of the push on it, they were so close to the airport that you could go over to MGM and park for a week for free inside the parking structure and then catch an Uber for five bucks over to the airport and you were way better than the $25 a day at the airport. Right. Yeah, I, I think that just speaks to all of the reasons why you need to manage and pay for parking outside of generating revenues is access control and basically yeah. making sure that people aren't taking advantage of adverse incentives, you know. What, um, what's the second wave look like versus the first? Yeah, so um, unsurprisingly, uh, or Two of the uh, two of our big cl municipal clients that I sort of was looking at as a bellwether, uh, and I mentioned like the depth of the crisis was in April, right? And that's when all of these numbers were just atrocious: down 90, down 95, garages just closed, right? Uh, two of the systems that were the most resilient through that period uh, were the city of Houston and the city of Miami. Uh, and so where the rest of the industry was down 95, those guys were down 70 and uh, they were climbing up way faster than everyone else. Uh, maybe I should have been calling the CDC uh, in, back in April and saying, hey, look, this is indicative <laughs> of people not really sheltering in place, but have you hindsight's 2020 again for the next pandemic, I'll be prepared. Um, so they are virtually there, well, Theoretically, they're, they're under their first wave still. So they're, they're crashing on their first wave, yeah. So I, I think for, I would say, right, 85, 90% of clients, right, we've, we've been on that low and then it's been just, just up, right? Yeah, and okay. then some, some locations actually had a down week, but that was for the 4th of July, not so much because of um, COVID-related reasons. Um, but Miami and Houston both sort of had uh, changes in trajectory in early June where uh, these are the two of the cities that have been sort of like the, the most impacted by the second wave, if we're going to call it that. Um, and we saw declining transaction volumes and declining parking revenues and declining occupancies 
in, in Miami and Houston starting in, in early June. Now, you know, uh, I'm not even sure what my clients would tell you, but I would actually say that that's probably a good thing, right? In terms of, you know, if this industry is going to be around, then we've got to quash this, this pandemic and, um, yeah, yeah. Forward. right. So, um, in, you know, Southern California has been a little, that's like the other, uh, hotspot. It's been, in, in, instead of seeing, um, things climbing, right. We've sort of seen it level off. And so instead of sort of like this resumption in growth, like, you know, we're, we're seeing declines in, in Miami, Houston, but in Southern California, it's more like we're just flatlining. Um, so, you know, and, and where we tend to have, have clients in, in Southern California is more on the West side. Um, and, you know, Southern California is a big place, right? So uh, no paid parking in Imperial County. So I can't tell you what folks are doing down there. Um, but that's, that's sort of how the, the second wave has been. Um, yeah, up here in Northern California, we're starting to see some growth, but San Francisco is still locked down. Um, nobody's the financial district. You could, you know, tap dance on Kearney Street and no one would bug you. So, um, wow. Is anyone talking about a new norm in some of the areas that have started to return? Is anyone close to a mature level or is it still in a level of fluctuation? I I think if you're, if we're trying to look for normal, the the market that's probably close to that is New York. Maybe Boston is, is close behind. Um, I think that, I think the tough thing about using New York as a, as a, what is normal is it's just so unique, right? And so I think about San Francisco and a lot of the employers out here are tech companies, you know, smarting, I'm working from home, the guidance that we got probably through the rest of 2021, I think Facebook, Twitter, Square, all those guys says work at home. But if you're a Wall Street trader, you gotta go in, right? And so sure. I'm not entirely sure how much New York's new normal is gonna be representative of LA's mm. new normal or Houston's new normal or, or what have you. Um, I do, we do have some insights into some Canadian, um, clients and, um, yeah, there, I would say, yeah, Vancouver is another behind New York is probably like our second strongest market. Um, they're back at 50% of their volumes historically. Um, but, uh, still a lot of the office parking is, is still, um, down, but more of the recreational stuff people are going out and about. And that's just cause um, yeah, they've, they've got fewer cases up there. The interesting thing will be when there is a solution to this more generally with either all immune or we have future ways, or we have a solution to it, um, to watch what then happens and, and behavior starts to change and mature, I guess you've, um, you've given us some great insights there. Cash, are there other things that you think are important for us to, to have a look at? Yeah, I, the, the other things that I, I wanted to uh, t- talk about is sort of just like what, are, what we've seen some clients do and sort of like trying to just anticipate, right, how, how some of this stuff might shake out. Uh, I think monthly parking is a, is a space to watch. Um, you, you know, I, I think I referenced Airbnb, sort of how they changed the hotel industry uh, and sort of started to blur the line between what's a home, what's a hotel. Uh, I think I think for in off street parking, we you know previously sort of had this tendency to say transient and monthly, 
right? And I, I think similarly, we're going to start to blur some of those lines. I think folks that were coming into the office five days a week are going to start to come in three days a week. And what sort of products are we putting out there in order to market for that type of demand? Um, I think that the touchless um, and contactless revolution is is going to sort of like expedite using QR codes as your credential and and just holding up a phone. And I think that there's a lot of going to be a lot of really interesting opportunities around sort of like if we see this pro proliferation in, in different types of monthly parking products, how do we price those? Uh, how do we measure whether they're being used the right way? Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to forecast how, how things are going to look and whatever normal winds up being. I think the thing that I can say with confidence to the listeners today is that it's not going to be like April, you know, with nothing. It's, it's even the second wave. We're still not anywhere near those levels. Um, but whether we're back to 100% or whether we're back to 80% or, hey, we might be back at 120, right? Um, that's, that's tough for me to forecast. I, I, I do think that monthly parking is going to be a space to watch and sort of how you price and allocate those and what sort of products that you've got to offer to that segment of the market is, is going to change in a pretty meaningful way because of this pandemic. We've seen that immediately already, the transition where all of a sudden uh, they want to now issue passes that work for 10 days a month, any 10 days a month, instead of the traditional monthly pass that comes into play. That's, that, was the, that was the very first uh, reaction, uh, almost universally, that people started making those changes. The, the second they figured out them. What's that? Yeah, uh, the second reaction was those who have, those operators who have leasing arrangements, seeing their revenue go to the floor. And so how that picks up will be interesting to monitor too. I'm not sure, Cassis, yeah. if you have some insight on that. I think, uh, yeah, the parking operations market is is uh, is an interesting one. I think a lot of these leases are getting broken. I think uh, locations are changing hands. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not in any position to be saying who's a winner and who's a loser, but uh, you'd imagine that coming out of this thing, there's probably going to be more management agreements than leases. Um, so definitely, definitely presents a couple of opportunities there and how, these sorts of agreements get structured and um i think that there's also a tension there between okay you're managing the facility now the facilities change significantly maybe we reconsider management at all um there's some great great opportunities there to pull parking inside maybe it's blended more with the rest of the operation of the facility as well some we're seeing i'm seeing that anyway those conversations yeah. happening we're seeing a lot of revenue split stuff like leases yeah. convert to revenue split that sort of yeah. thing where it's like nobody can predict the revenue um we're going to have cost to operate this thing the way the building wants to be operated you know revenue splits after that kind of are making a lot of sense right now yeah i uh I, I think a revenue split like if i ever was privileged enough to own an office building i think uh that's the way that i would uh do it i think yeah i, I uh, you know, parking operations is going to be a business for a very, very long time. I mean, these folks provide an oh, essential yeah, yeah. service and um, I, they're good at what they do and uh, building owners need them. Um, I, you know, I think maybe, you know, maybe similar to the transient versus monthly sort of becoming a little bit more blurred, right? Um, there's got to be a middle ground there between the management and the lease. And I think the revenue, revenue share makes sure that there's that incentive there to make sure that, um, 
you know, we're, we're doing all the right things in order to maximize the revenue, but still making sure that the operators got a base level of compensation for all the labor and hard work that's going into keeping the lights on. Yeah. Very true. yeah. What else have you got Cassius? What else are you seeing out there? So I've got, I've got two more things for you, Brett. So don't, you know, you, oh, you can one it. more and then, and then I'm tapped out. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Very good. So, um, this is, the, this is the man with all the data. We got to get as much as we can out of this. <laughs> I'm going to start frantically clicking around. Oh, I can click on 17th Street. Uh, so, um, this is not going to come as a surprise to, to anyone, but um, talking about resilience, right? I, uh, as much as I can, I like to end on a, on a positive note. So, um, some of the locations that we've actually seen up year over year. It's marking if you're down, we got a red number. And if you're up, you're a green number. Green numbers are hard to come by these days, but there are a few of them. And if you're seeing green numbers, then chances are uh, your parking asset is next to a park, a beach, or some sort of outdoor amenity. So I think for better, for worse, or I think this is for better, people are reading the news and understand that yeah. outdoor transmission of COVID-19 is very difficult and they're seeking out opportunities to get out of the house in a safe uh, way and they're headed to beaches and parks and what have you so up in vancouver next to stanley park numbers are through the roof everybody's out trying yeah. to get out walk through the trees walk through the run uh city of santa monica's been a great client of mine for a long time we segment their meters into three different zones um the parking meters near the beach is a zone and those beach parking lots are closed right now because the state of california gavin newsom says uh let's let's not promote crowding but people want to get out there anyways and so they're they're parking at the meters near the beach and um yeah they're getting out there and hopefully recreating in a safe way and wearing a mask and what have you and so um could be a little revenue strategy there if your if your garage is down 90 percent, build a park next to it <laughs> those with beachside properties win again Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other, the other thing that we've seen is sort of like a, a, a little bright spot. And Brett, this is my last thing here. So um, <laughs> no, we can talk all day. Uh, That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there, there was, I think, some folks basically taking advantage of this downtime as an opportunity to do some construction. And so if you were doing better than the national average, but you weren't near a big park, um, then you were probably benefiting from construction parking. So uh, that's been a sort of like another little bright spot, especially some locations that we're doing in Chicago and New York fit that bill, Boston as well, is uh, you know there's this lull in traffic and everything else is down. People are trying to take advantage and, and build some infrastructure. And so um, construction parking has been another bright spot that we've seen uh, across the industry. We were working on a project in Pasadena and it was just, the place was just, all the construction parking got transitioned over to some of these fairly empty office buildings. And normally where they had big signs up, no construction parking, now it's like, come park. Let's serve you lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you on your tailgate, we don't care. Have fun. Come eat. <laughs> oh, that's I, awesome. Yeah, I, I really I really got some good value out of that. Me too, yeah. That was, was fantastic. Super interesting.
Yeah. Uh, too, too nice to me. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure being on. Yeah. I, you know, uh, my, my final message, uh, is, uh, yeah, hang in there. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing these week over week growth trends. I think, uh, we're going to, we're going to pull through here. What the industry looks like on the other side might not be the same, but, um, I have a, just as much conviction as ever that, uh, parking professionals have a strong role to play in this world and, um, the world needs us. So, um, yeah, we'll just, uh, push through. Love it. I think, uh, I think Lester, we'll, we'll get him back on the show maybe once a quarter. Absolutely. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. We can and make say, that a recurring spot for sure. Yeah. I think we say, Hey, cash, you said this, it didn't happen. I want my money back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just put up my Venmo and then people can request me. Yeah. <laughs> that was better than an OnlyFans page. Thank you for listening to the Parker X podcast. We sincerely appreciate it and hope you are enjoying our content. Please remember to rate, review, comment, subscribe, and share. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The following has been a production of Parker X.